Good afternoon to all. I hope the Lord is blessing you and using you to be a blessing to others on this Sunday afternoon. I'm talking with you from Tyler, Texas, where it is 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time. The last several days we've had a lot of daylight, and it's uh, such a blessing to have uh, the wonderful seasons. We're in the midst of the summer and looking at the end of August right around the corner Coming up with September and fall is on the horizon, and I know everyone will be glad uh, to see the temperatures drop and stay a little cooler, at least all of us here in Texas. I'm glad to have you joining us. We are uh, beginning still over the last uh, few weeks. We have been looking at the first chapter of the book of Philippians in a series of lessons on Sunday afternoons entitled Finding Joy in Difficult Times. Uh, Philippians is such a an incredible book of joy in spite of the circumstances uh, that Paul was experiencing as he wrote these things, already seeing some wonderful friends and family, uh, church family and family, family, <laughs> my cousin Gail, uh, married to my wonderful cousin Keith Allen and uh, originally from Buna, Texas, if you can imagine that, we have such great memories, uh, Tracy and Keith and I from Buna. And, uh, of course, Bridge City and uh, now uh, blessings uh, to you and my friends here in Tyler as well uh, that are members of our wonderful West Irwin Church family, Larry and Lynn and Elizabeth and Myron Granberry and so many others that I know will be able to watch uh, either now or at 6 p.m. on our on our church website, westirwin.com, Irwin with an E, West Irwin, E-R-W-I-N. Dot com And our live stream page will show this broadcast at 6 p.m. And then it'll be in archives there. And, of course, you'll be able to watch it on my Facebook page. Uh, I'll post it to our West Irwin Church pages on Facebook in, uh, a little bit after we're finished, around 4.30-ish Texas time. Uh, glad to have you joining us. As I said, we're in Philippians. We're in chapter 1 still, and we're looking at one of the great, great passages uh, in Scripture as we look at Philippians 1, uh, verses 19 through 26, which includes the great statement from Paul uh, in Philippians 1, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, lots of things to unpack with that, but let's first get to it. Uh, Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, acknowledges that while he's writing this letter, he is in prison. We call the prison epistles, likely in Rome, likely waiting for that first time when he stands before uh, the emperor Caesar uh, and is able to uh, make his defense and actually is released uh, by Nero. This time, uh, later on, uh, long after uh, Luke's book of Acts has uh, uh, left the historical record, uh, Paul is released and then after a while is traveling and arrested again and then is finally convicted and put to death. After the fire, uh, the great fire at Rome, that Nero tries to uh, blame Christians and Christianity for, uh, ultimately he runs out of mercy for people like uh, the apostles Paul and Peter and has them uh, both put to death, uh, not exactly the same time, but uh, relatively close to each other in the A.D. 60s or 60s uh, in the common era C.E., but for now, Paul is very much alive. He is under house arrest, we might say, as Acts 28 ends, uh, which we will be covering, by the way, right here on my Facebook page uh, this coming Tuesday. 
uh, at 3 p.m. Central Time, uh, and then uh, uh, recording that and putting that on our archives and, and other places as well. So Tuesday, Thursday, we're going to continue that Facebook study. Uh, but for now, we're getting to look at what Paul wrote while he is in jail, while he is in prison. And Philippians is one of those books, as we have said, uh, also writing the book of Ephesians and uh, the books uh, to the church at Colossae of Colossians and Philemon, that little one-chapter book, which is an incredible read. Um, so Philippians 1, he acknowledges, again, he is in prison, he is incarcerated, he is, does not have his freedom, but he has enough freedom to be able to minister and to be able to preach and to be able to write, at least from where he is. And that is exactly what he's doing uh, as we read these words. What we saw uh, the last time in the verses that precede our section today, Paul is talking about individuals who are preaching Christ out of pure motives and impure motives. Uh, the pure motives are, of course, like he, like Paul himself, are trying to convince other people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and uh, calling on people to accept him by, by faith, to repent of their sins, turn away from their life of sin, get on a different path, confess that faith, and be baptized into Jesus Christ uh, to begin that new life in Christ that we're talking about today in this section of Philippians 1. Others were preaching Christ simply so that they could stir up trouble for Paul. They felt, apparently, that if they could preach the, the Christ that Paul was arrested for preaching, that perhaps it would make things more difficult for him and his care and his incarceration. And uh, what Paul said is, um, I'm going to let God take care of people's motives and people's hearts. I'm just glad that the name of Christ is getting out there and that Christ is preached and whatever good can come from that. He says literally in Philippians 1, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. What a wonderful attitude uh, that we should have today as well. Continue to preach the truth, continue to preach the gospel, continue to practice it, live according to it as best you can. And uh, realize that not everyone's going to have pure hearts and pure motives. And some are going to have an agenda far away from the gospel of Christ. Uh, but we can let those people be uh, answer to the one who knows their hearts, just as he knows ours. And in the meantime, where good comes from the name of Jesus being placed out there, we rejoice and we continue to rejoice. And so that brings us to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. And in this great passage, Paul will be sharing uh, about what really makes him tick as he continues in this life in Christ. So nice to see my sister Michelle here and uh, uh, glad to have everyone that's watching these uh, lessons. Appreciate it so much. I've always told you on Sunday afternoons anyway, not so much the Tuesday-Thursday study, but on Sunday afternoons we're trying to keep it to 30 minutes, so we'll see how close gets, Bill gets to that uh, today. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 19. For I know, Paul writes, that through your prayers, talking to the Philippian Christians, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Uh, 
But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What an incredible attitude. What an incredible message of hope and joy and service and sacrifice and ministry uh, from this man who is writing literally from jail. Uh, he mentions his chains earlier. He is uh, writing from uh, incarceration. And yet these wonderful words that he says, you know, if I get released, that's great. Uh, I'm thinking that's not going to happen. And if, if that turns out to be the case, I'm good with that as well, because that just means more fruitful labor for me in the cause of Christ and for the sake of the blessings and encouragement and salvation of others. What an amazing, amazing attitude uh, of this apostle. We whine sometimes and gripe about our situations. It, is, it in no way compares with the Apostle Paul and what he was going through. And yet, at the same time, he says, you know, I'm going to continue to serve. And if that means serving in this life, so be it. If that means serving uh, through the end of my life and death in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, I'm ready for that as well. As we said, it looks like for Paul, he doesn't think that that's going to happen this time. And as history records it anyway, turns out he is correct. So let's look at the two great calls that Paul has from that great verse, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, perfect outline for our message today, those two points. And so the first one let's deal with, um, for me to live is Christ. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does Paul mean by that? Um, and he seems to have expected that he would be uh, released. But what exactly did that mean uh, for him? He writes this in verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So even while he's in jail, even while he's in prison, even while he is unable to appreciate his freedom, uh, he realizes that, uh, that that very act itself, being in chains for the gospel and for Jesus Christ, is something that is encouraging others to be willing to speak out and to be willing to share that same uh, message. Paul says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have uh, courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Again, for me, he says, to live is Christ. Uh, he says in verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Uh, and so he realizes that, and he says in verse 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He fully expects, it seems, to be released. He doesn't know for sure, how can he? But he does expect that he will be released and that he will not uh, have the death penalty put on him. Uh, that doesn't happen the next time around, it seems, that he's in, in, in Rome, 
but it does happen this time. And he says, why is that? Well, it's because God has plans for him in this life. God still has work for him to do. How many faithful Christians have we known? Lived a long time, perhaps suffered greatly with great uh, physical uh, health issues, uh, pain and suffering, and yet their life continues on in this world. And to hear them say, well, I just think that God's got more work for me still to do here. And what a great blessing and encouragement they are to all of us. That was exactly Paul's attitude. Why am I not delivered from this sufferings and beatings and imprisonment and accusations that, that my enemies and the enemies of the gospel continue to weigh against me? For Paul, he said, well, there's only really one reason for it. That reason is God still has work for me to do here. And that should be all of our attitudes that we see every day to live is Christ. Um, and so again, what exactly does that mean? Well, a few scripture passages as we, as we look at this writing today. Um, first of all, Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Or, if you've been around Churches of Christ for a while, you probably remember the song version of that verse, Galatians 2.20. And of course Bill is going to sing it. Are you kidding? Was there ever a question or doubt in your mind? Galatians 2.20, see if this brings back some memories. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me you know when i was a teenager i i it didn't cause me to be so out of breath when i sang that song but it's still what a wonderful wonderful message i am crucified with christ and it's no longer i that live but christ lives in and through me galatians 2 verse 20. Or how about Romans 12, verse 1, after these 11 incredible chapters of the book of Romans, where Paul writes and he says, look, we have such great blessings in Jesus Christ. We have salvation uh, by grace through faith, through that response of faith. And, and it leads us to live a certain kind of life. And, and that really, you have a little brief window of what that looks like in Romans chapter 6, but really not until Romans chapter 12 does he really talk about what it means to live is Christ. And he starts it with that incredible statement in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of all of these mercies of God that I've talked about for these 11 chapters, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Um, what a great statement. We are not called upon, most all of us, to give our lives in death for Jesus Christ. We know that there are some in the world who are called upon to do that in the name of Jesus, because of their faith in Christ, and our hearts go out to them and to their loved ones and to their churches and others who support them. But for most of us, and certainly for most of us here in this country, uh, we are called to live for Christ, to let our bodies be a living sacrifice, not a sacrifice where our life is taken, but to live is Christ, as Paul has shared. And we only have to go back to the words of Jesus himself in his ministry and his life and teaching in Luke chapter 9 as he talks about his own uh, being killed for the cause of Christ. He, he puts a reminder for us 
And he says, if anyone would be my disciple, Luke 9, verse 23, that person must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow after me. That's what it means to live is Christ, to deny yourself, not to try to do everything that you want to do or everything that you think will make you happy, but you ask, first of all, is this the will of God? And you consider what the teaching of Scripture is, and then you ask yourself, is this something that will help my brother, that will help my sister, that will lead them to be closer to Christ? For me, to live is Christ, Paul says. And we look at some other passages, such as this great passage in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it? any longer. Verse 3 of Romans 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. To live is Christ. We die to sin. We are buried with Christ through baptism into death. And yes, I think that means baptism is an immersion. And yes, I think that means that baptism is based on our faith, not someone else's faith. We are buried with Christ through baptism into death so that we may be raised to live a new life. To live is Christ. We no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for Jesus Christ. And then this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's a great resurrection passage. It talks about how this mortal will put on immortality and how one day um, what we see will all be done away with. But in the midst of all of that, he says this in verse uh, 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. To live is Christ. It would be better by far for us, Paul says to the Corinthians, just as he did to the Philippians. It would be better by far for us uh, to be away from this body and, and present in a very real way with the Lord. But he writes in Philippians 1, and he says, that day is not today for me, and I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. And so what that means is, for me to live is Christ. Uh, he writes in uh, later on in 2 Corinthians 5 about being ambassadors for Christ, about pleading and begging and earnestly preaching and teaching to people uh, with our lives and with our words, to be reconciled uh, to God. He's made us ministers of reconciliation, just as we have received that forgiveness, and now our relationship with God is restored through Jesus Christ. He calls on us to do the same, to try to help others receive that same blessing. For me, to live is Christ. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 and other places, he talks about our living this life, in a new way, a new life. As Paul said in Romans 6, raised out of that watery grave of baptism to live a new life, a life that is no longer meant 
uh, to be lived for our own selfish desires, but a life that is lived for the cause of Christ and for the sake of others. That's what it means to live is Christ. <clears throat> we live so that others' joy in Christ will overflow. And coming to a firm belief in the resurrection of Jesus and trying to our best to understand what that means for us now while we live is what moves us to live for Christ. <clears throat> that is what Paul calls on them to do, to live as Christ, and he holds himself up as an example. Um, but again, <clears throat> that's not the only part of that great verse in Philippians 1, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He tells them that in verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be ashamed. Whether I am at home in this body, I will be, Christ will be exalted in me, either while I'm here alive or even in my death. Either way, in life or death, Christ will be exalted in my body. For me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says in verse 22 at the end, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Let me tell you a couple of things that this doesn't mean. Number one, this doesn't mean that Christians are masochists. This doesn't mean that Christians are suicidal. This doesn't mean that Christians want to end their physical, earthly life. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means that we recognize that when this life is over, when this body is finished, that to die is gain. It's not the end of our lives. It's not the end of our existence. Rather, it is a, a wonderful transformation for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. Christians aren't masochistic. We don't wish pain or suffering or death on ourselves or anybody else for that matter. We simply face the end of our lives, which is inevitable, and all of us will face sooner or later uh, by the doing of others or through natural causes uh, or by some freak accident. We will all see this life over and ended for us, but for the Christian, because of our faith in Christ and in the resurrection of Christ, to die is gain. Paul affirms that so much. New Testament writers affirms that so much. And we see it beginning in the Gospels, in Matthew 28, and Mark 16, and Luke 24, and John 20 and 21, and then in the first several verses in the book of Acts, uh, we read the story of that <clears throat> incredible resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that this is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what he says Christ delivered to him, and then he delivered to the Corinthians and to us, which is of primary, first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he arose on the third day, and that people saw him. Sean McDowell and his father, Josh McDowell, before him, and so many others have given us such great, great information to, to help us to remember that Believing in the resurrection is not a blind faith. It is a credible faith. There are good reasons. It's still faith. As, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by faith, not by sight. One day it will be sight. Uh, but Paul himself said, I don't think for me that's today, to live is Christ. But it will be one day where we will no longer be living by faith, but we'll be living by sight. 
And, and that's a credible faith. It's a credible thing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, hey, there are witnesses. He appeared to hundreds of people, including me, Paul says, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, an eyewitness that he was dead, and yet Paul saw him, others saw him very much alive. What a great, great statement that is in 1 Corinthians 15. And in Romans chapter 1, as Paul begins that great message uh, to the church at Rome, he announces the power that we have in the resurrection. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Romans 1 verse 3, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of King David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Declared to be the son of God in a very public way through the resurrection of the dead and the power that that showed, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then this great statement in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, these words beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are shielded through faith in Jesus Christ. At this present time, to live is Christ. And so we live by faith, but the faith we have and the hope we have in Christ is a living faith. It is a living hope. Uh, and why is it a living hope? It's a living hope because Jesus is alive. It's a living hope because the tomb is empty. And so that hope that we have that to die is gain is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a, uh, an incredible hope. It is a hope that is seen and testified to by a tomb that is still empty even to this day, a tomb that could not hold the body of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that the tomb that we end up in will not be able to hold us as well. What incredible words that we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where Paul talks to the Thessalonians and responds to them because they were so worried about their loved ones who had died. And so he writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says, now look, listen, someday Jesus will return, and when he does, the dead in Christ will rise first. To die is gain. And then he says, those of us who are alive when Jesus comes, uh, we'll also be taken up to be with him, and it'll be a grand reunion between those that we have lost, that we love, that love Jesus, and with our Lord himself. And Paul says, we'll forever be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. And so Christians for centuries have been comforting one another with these words, to die is gain. The dead in Christ will rise First, Jesus himself said in John 14, look, I'm going to go away, but I want you to know I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. There's a mansion just over the hilltop. I've got a mansion waiting for me that Jesus is preparing for us to die is 
gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Christians aren't masochistic looking forward to that as if we glory in suffering and glory in pain and death. We don't wish that on ourselves or anyone else. But secondly, we care about this earth. We care about this life. Christians, we have let ourselves open for criticism at times because we've spoken so much about that gain that we will have on the other side of the Jordan when we cross that river of death and find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. We look forward to that so much, and rightly so, but it is not right for us to look forward to that so much that we forget the first part of Philippians 1, verse 21. To live is Christ. And so we have a living hope, and we look forward to that glorious mansion over the hilltop, but for now, for now, to live is Christ. And so we care about those in need around us. We care about our world. We care about those who are suffering. And we seek to do what we can to help our neighbor. Why? Because Jesus said, that's the second great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, says in 1 John 3 and 4, we can't love a God whom we haven't seen if we don't love our brother or our sister or our neighbor whom we have seen. We seek to do good in this life because we have a living hope, because we believe so strongly that to die is gain. We are willing to make sure that for us, it will be said to live is Christ. We will one day be raised to live with Christ forever. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the end of that great resurrection chapter, let it never be said of us that because we believe in the resurrection, because we believe that to die is gain, that we don't see a purpose and a mission and a call to live a life of love and faithfulness and sacrifice and service. That is exactly the opposite. After this great, incredible chapter on the resurrection and the living hope that we have in 1 Corinthians 15, this is how Paul ends that. And so we'll end this lesson today with this same reading and a reminder of Philippians 1, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will, said, will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. To die is gain. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For 57 verses, Paul has said to die is gain. And he did it all, I believe, so that he could write verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
May God help us all to live that out each day, each moment in the week ahead. God bless you.